Well, good morning, everybody. We are so grateful you're here. I want to uh, welcome those of you again who are in an off-site campus or on the internet. So fun when we can sing together and worship together. And, uh, wherever you are in the world, we're just grateful that you're, uh, that you're with us uh, today. One of the things we do is celebrate brand new churches when we plant them. We have a church planting arm of our church called The Ark, the Association of Related Churches. We've planted uh, over 560 churches now in America and around the world in the last few years. And today, um, we celebrate two brand new churches. Uh, one of them is in, there it is, uh, Declaration Church in Spring, Texas, with John and Kelly Sherrill, if you know anybody in that area. And a second one is the Gathering Church in Asheville, North Carolina. And uh, some of our team is going there. You know, we have a campus in Asheville that's doing great. And then we plant churches. How many of you know that we need all kinds of churches and life-giving churches and communities? And so uh, we just celebrate what God is doing there, if you know anybody in the areas that uh, could use a church. Over the last few weeks... Um, we have been uh, just really having fun challenging one another about the future. What does the future look like? If we could imagine the future, what would it be? We did a series on Imagine, talked about our values as a church, and then where we're going. And uh, it's been so much fun. It's almost been like revival around here. Just, there's this cool thing going on. And a few weeks ago, three or four weeks ago, I think I challenged everybody uh, with um, investing in the next generation. Uh, and specifically how we're going to do that here at the Long Point campus. Uh, we're going to, uh, over the next two years, we're going to convert uh, this space right here into, actually we're going to do that last, uh, but we're going to convert this space uh, into just a great next generation space. We've got over a thousand kids coming to our Wednesday night, first Wednesday, or second Wednesday uh, one nights and, uh, and the last one. And then... Uh, uh, we're we're going to build a 2,400-seat auditorium uh, that we'll worship in. Uh, we're just packed out. I mean, if there's any evidence that you need, look around in this service. I know I watch people have to leave and uh, go to other venues. And um, uh, we're going to refresh our children's areas too. And I challenge you that we needed $8 million this year, $8 million this year, and uh, that we needed $4 million by March 31st in order to break ground, and then another $4 million before the end of the year, and um, above regular giving. You know, we, we tie, regular giving is what allows us to do what we do. This would be a sacrifice above, faith pledge above, and we ask every family to pray about and do it. And I would like to tell you that we hit our goal. But no, I said I would like to. <laughs> I'd like to be able to tell you that we hit our goal, but we didn't. Uh, we exceeded our goal by almost $2 million. And uh, so God is good, huh? God is good. And uh, so I just want to say thank you for your generosity. Campuses, we're so involved in this. Some of the major gifts came from the campuses, and uh, we want to say thank you. We're one church, many campuses, and that, that just proved it, that you are bought in to the vision that God has here. And some of you are saying, well, I, I was going to give. We never got our card filled out. Praise God. Um, I'll take a pass. And that's not it at all. You will miss a blessing. I'm serious. You'll miss a blessing. You say, well, you, you got more than you need. No, the building's $28 million. So there's a little room there for your gift. 
okay? So a little bit early. We were just hoping maybe $8 million this year, and then we'll, we'll add it. Wouldn't it be cool if we could get all we needed in the next two years? Yes. In this year. That'd be awesome. And so if you want to give, uh, you can go online to imaginesecoast.org, which tells all about the project. If you're here at the Long Point campus, uh, we have a couple of opportunities. You can go out on the wall that's in the foyer out here that kind of gives the story. And there's, a, there's some information there that you can give that will help you to give. And over here there in this foyer out here, there's a picture wall, which is really cool. And I think there's some information there. So thank you for giving. Thank you for giving. We, we really, really do appreciate that. I love, I love being your pastor. I just do. It, it, well, good. All right. I thought that would be a good opportunity. That's a throwaway applause line that really is true. You know, I really do. And I was hoping somebody would say, I love you too. And, and they did. And that's good. Good. And somebody kissed me about four times. I think I've got lipstick right here. That's all right. I just remember that between service. And isn't it great to be a part of a church where they kiss each other uh, rather than fight? Okay, let's go. Let's go. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever felt like you just didn't fit in to a social situation? You ever been in a social situation? I just don't fit. You ever been in that? I mean, maybe it's the clothes. Maybe it had to do with the way you were dressed. In the words of the great theologian Garth Brooks, great concert, by the way, <laughs> you showed up in boots to a black tie affair, you know, and you just didn't fit in. I remember one time I was about 19 years old. I was going to college in southwest Missouri, and my girlfriend, who became my wife, was coming out from Denver, and they were having a prom or something at the college, and, and uh, I don't know how it could have been a prom. We didn't believe in dancing, but anyway, whatever. Um, <laughs> We believed in it, this is how big of a deal was. We didn't believe in premarital sex because we thought it led to dancing. In, in our, yeah, but anyway, that's, it's the only service I've done that in. So anyway, so she came out to visit me and I was showing her around and I took her to a little town, Branson, Missouri in the Ozarks, pretty little town. I was gonna go to church and we went to this little church, got in the foyer and they had a bulletin board. You've seen bulletin boards in churches and corkboard thing, you have the important things pinned, and they had a real big piece of paper, like poster size with bright, bright yellow, uh, just uh, that listed what you could wear and couldn't wear to church. There wasn't a whole lot of what you could, but there's a lot of what you couldn't wear. And I looked at my outfit, and I was violating almost everything on that list, and what I didn't violate, Debbie was violating. And at the top of the list, get this, this is in the mid-70s, at, at the top of the list was bell-bottom jeans. That's what they cho chose to, to fight on, the first thing on. No, that wasn't. Hair was first. Mine way violated that. But it was bell-bottom jeans. You couldn't have them. And I looked down, and I had not only bell-bottom jeans, but I had, um, my mother had slit them, and I had uh, flowery, uh, big flowery stuff. And so my bell-bottoms were like this, you know. I had shoes that were that high, bright green, and, uh, you know, uh, like a white belt and a hip hugger kind of deal and some kind of a tank top. And all of that was on the list. And I, you know what I thought? I don't fit here. And before they throw me out, I'm just not going to go in. You ever been in a situation kind of like that? You know, it may not have been there. It may have been, you know, um, uh, maybe, had, maybe had to do with your politics, you know, since it's a political thing, whatever. You're in a room of people that it just, you just didn't feel like you, you fit. Or maybe it's your faith. Maybe you're a student right now at one of the colleges, and um, especially if it's one of the state universities, secular college, 
you know, you were raised in church, maybe you were in a youth group, it really felt good, nice cocoon, now you're out on your own, and you are face-to-face with a culture that's hostile to your faith. Maybe it's one of your professors or several of them or students around you who, you know, not, not only disagree with your faith, but they're hostile, laugh at you about it. Can you, how can you believe that stuff might be about creation, might be about any of a number of things, even Jesus and the validity of? And, uh, and, and you, you, you feel like, man, I don't fit. We may be even questioning your faith after a period of time. Could be at work. You may be in a department where uh, there's somebody or a group of somebodies that just are hostile to your faith. Oftentimes what we'll do is we'll pray, God, you know, uh, sometimes people will come talk to me and say, would you pray with me? I need another job. How come? Because they're all hostile to the faith. And I'll say, God trusted that whole department to you and you want to leave? You know, I mean, sometimes you can leave, but God's probably got you there for a purpose. Or just in general, our Christian, our, our culture, we, we live in a hostile culture to Christianity. There are Christians being killed all over the world. There are more people being martyred for the name of Jesus today and at any time in history. A lot of the stuff you read on the internet is, is uh, hostility toward Christianity and faith. Even in our country, we see the edges kind of coming off of religious liberties and it's more and more hostile to your faith and it's probably not gonna get a lot better. So what do you do? I mean, it feels awkward, it can challenge you. The next few weeks, we're gonna study a young man in the Bible who was in similar circumstances. His name was Daniel. In fact, there's a whole book written about him. And uh, we're gonna study it. Uh, sometimes we'll go verse by verse. Sometimes we'll grab a whole story and just kind of do, do it that way. But uh, he, this young man finds himself in very awkward situations because of his faith, dangerous situations. But he makes good choices. And because he does and puts his trust in God for his future and honors God, he ultimately rises to the top in his culture, influences culture, rather than being conformed or crushed by it. And he's one of my heroes in the Bible. I'm so excited about being able to do this series. And so what I want to do, I've got to do the first 21 verses, the whole first chapter, and I'm going to basically go verse by verse through them. So we've got a lot of work to do. Don't be interrupting me a lot except for if to, to laugh uh, at some of the stuff, but not for a long time, just short laughs. Okay, all right, kind of like that right there. And so here's, here's what we're gonna do. Here's what we're gonna do is, uh, let me tell you about the background to the, to the whole deal. Israel, the people of God, are in Jerusalem, and they have built their first temple. And uh, uh, it's, it's a beautiful temple. It costs them millions of dollars. It's where they glorify God, worship him. They've got walls around their city, interesting concept. And they, uh, I just thought it was. And they, uh, and so, I shouldn't say anything. So anyway, anyway what, they, what they did was, uh, they didn't honor God. And they got further and further away from God. And uh, seriously, let me just back up a minute. Don't take what I've said there as an endorsement for any candidate. I have not publicly endorsed anybody, okay? So that's not where I am. And there are reasons for that. You can ask me about it if you want to. But the, um, so, so they're, they're far from God in their faith. And so God allows a foreign country, which in this case is Babylonia, uh, uh, which is Iraq, uh, to come and destroy their temple, destroy their walls, and carry them away into captivity. Babylonian king is named King Nebuchadnezzar. Say Nebuchadnezzar together. 
Yeah, let's just call him King Neb, uh, exclamation point. And so the, yeah, that wasn't funny either. And so, so let's, let's read. Let's read. Daniel 1 and verse 3. It says, Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defects and handsome. I would have fit that uh, back in the day, not so much today. Showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. And so what he's doing is he's taking the best and the brightest. These are young kids. These are anywhere from 10 to 20 years old. We think Daniel was about 14 and a half, 15 years old, okay? And these are sharp young men who are Israelites, Jews. He says, bring them in, and what I want you to do is I want you, well, look what it says. The next verse says what he wants to do. Verse five, the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. He didn't do that for anybody. How do you know the king ate better than anybody? And so he, he, he wants them to eat the right foods. It's like a training camp. In fact, he, he says uh, they were to be trained for three years. And after that, they were to enter the king's service. So it's like college. It's like a, a training camp for sports. It's like an internship. It's everything. They're, they're, they're training them to lead. Okay, they see that they have the honor of God on them and, and he wants them to be the very best. And he also wants to brainwash them into Babylonian culture. Okay, he wants them to, to empty themselves of their culture of the people of God and, and be brainwashed into Babylonian culture. And so among those chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, the chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. And uh, so, like I said, these boys are around 14 years old. And all four of their names, their Hebrew names, their parents were very intentional about naming them. They didn't get, get a book, you know, 2,000 two, 2, names for your new baby. No, they, they were real intentional about naming their children according to their faith. Parents would prophetically ask God for a word for their children. And these names meant significant things to their faith, their Jewish faith. And so what the king did, first thing he did, was to erase that and to give them new names that related to pagan culture. And just, I could do a whole message on this. I can do several messages. In fact, the last service, I almost did several messages. It's a little long. We can't do that. We've got several to, to turn over here. But um, if you look around in culture, when culture and faith collide, oftentimes culture will rename things. They will take things that were good and rename them to sound bad. They'll take things that are uh, maybe not, not good uh, or, or faith uh, in our faith or not, and they'll rename them to to be something else. And that's what he does here is he does with these young men. He wants to erase their, their uh, Hebrew history and he gets them when they're young because uh, young people are, uh, will, will, are curious and will oftentimes conform to culture. And he wants them to conform to the Babylonian culture. Now, before I talk to you about specific things from Daniel that we can learn, I want to give you four culture thoughts. Just jot these down for where you are now, then we can bring these alongside, we can put ourselves in, bring them alongside God's word and, and understand the principles that I want to teach you today. Here's four cultural thoughts. We are all aliens in a foreign culture. 
We are all aliens in a foreign country. Some of you are going, I know I'm from Pittsburgh or New York and I'm living down here. I feel like an alien. We're happy you're here. Okay, we're happy you're here. You're getting grafted into the culture. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the kingdom of God. Jesus taught a lot about the kingdom of God. He said, you know, that you live where you live, but there is a kingdom. It's the kingdom of heaven. It is to come, but it's also here. It's a kind of a dual thing. And Jesus taught that the kingdom of God was now on earth. He introduced the kingdom of God. And if you're a Christ follower, you're a part of the kingdom of God. You've been engrafted in to God's people, who Daniel was a Jew, God's people. You've been engrafted into the favor and blessing of God through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And if you're a Christ follower, you are a part of a new kingdom. And it's, it's where your primary allegiance is. In fact, if you... Uh, take a look at the scripture I put there, 1 Peter 2 and verse 11 says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful behavior which war against your soul. And so you are a part of a distinct kingdom. If you live in America, you are an American, but you are primarily a Christian if you are a Christ follower. And so you don't act necessarily American when American clashes with Christianity. You don't talk the same way they do in the culture that you're around. You're an alien. There's a different language that you speak in, and you speak the language of love. You need to tell yourself that when you go on Facebook. Seriously. That's a big test these days of the two kingdoms. Do you, do you speak in the kingdom of God as an alien or are you just like everybody else? Just spew and, you know, uh, spew death and all this kind of thing. We, we don't do that. It's a different kingdom. You're an alien in a foreign country. Culture. Number two, the world culture that we live in is hostile toward the God that we serve. I made a case for that a little bit. I could make it a whole lot more. Uh, every day, this culture is getting more hostile to the, to the God that we serve all around the world and even here in America. Number three, the world culture is the object of God's plan of redemption in Christ's death. It's easy to get really mad at culture. You know, you watch the Grammys or Video Music Awards or you watch the political scene or whatever, and you just get mad at how the culture is eroding. And, uh, you know, it's okay to get angry, but the Bible says don't sin. And you need to understand that the world culture that's so upsetting to you is an object of God's plan of redemption in Christ's death. That's why Jesus died. Not so we could be this little community that kind of we do our own thing, don't touch us, don't defile us. He planted us in a culture that God loves. And we should always view our culture in light of eternity. Look what 1 Peter says. It says, live such good lives among the pagans, that's those outside of the kingdom, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. In other words, if you follow Christ, your life and your faith at times is going to clash with the culture and it's probably going to make somebody mad at some point. Hopefully it's because of Jesus and not our own ignorance. Do you, know, you understand what I'm saying? A lot of times Christians make people mad because of their own ignorance and call it God. And it's not God. It's why some people don't like God. Okay? But in, 
And if you are a Christ follower, there will be times when people won't, won't understand what you do. Some may even get mad, but he says this. He says, live your life in such a way that when Jesus is coming, live for that day, not this day. Okay? Don't live for Sunday. Don't live for Monday. Live for the day that Jesus is coming because if you'll live your life in that way, there will be some in the culture around you that will be, that will be confronted in their faith and will follow and will know Jesus on that day because of the way you lived as a foreigner or an alien in a foreign country. Then number four, we are in the business of cultural transformation. We want to live our lives in such a way that we honor God and invite his blessing and remain attractive, not repulsive to the surrounding culture. That's been the mission of our church. If you want to understand Seacoast, you need to understand those four things. In 1988, when we started this church, 28 years ago, we, we wanted to make a, a, uh, a, a new culture or a, a new kingdom experiment. It was a small experiment at first where we were going to see if we couldn't be the, 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 a new kingdom on earth that would love each other in such a way and would approach culture in such a way that would transform and not just reject and condemn culture. And I got a lot of criticism for it. Still do from time to time because of some of the decisions that we make and what we do and what we don't do. But you need to understand, I can go through a whole list of that. You, you need to understand that we believe we are all aliens in a foreign culture, that the culture is hostile toward the God we serve, and that the, the culture is the object of God's plan of redemption, and we're in the business of cultural transformation. That's our mission, and it's driven a lot of the decisions that we make. So what do you do personally when your convictions, your faith, and culture collide? It collided with Daniel, as you're gonna see, and he had three options. He had the option to just condemn culture. Just, I will, I'm just, I, no, I can't do what you're calling me to do. It's against my faith, and, and I'm just gonna, you know what would have happened? He would have died. And uh, he would have been a martyr, and there's some value to that, but he never would have changed the culture where he was at or, or, or uh, had impact on the culture. Or he could have conformed to the culture and just said, okay, I'll do it, and he would have been no different and wouldn't made a, would not have made a difference. Instead, he gently confronted the culture and he influenced the culture. He cooperated but did not capitulate. And tenaciously, he held on to the faith of the fathers, but he was not obnoxious about it. And because of that, he was able to make a major impact on the uh, foreign culture that he lived in. So, let, let's, let's talk about three things that we can learn from Daniel in chapter one when faith and culture collide. Here's number one. Decide ahead of time where you're gonna stake a stand. Okay? Decide ahead of time where, where, uh, what hill you're going to fight for. Decide ahead of time. Listen, have you know that there are plenty of hills that you could shed blood on? And if you choose to shed blood on all of them or the wrong one, you'll bleed to death. You won't be any good to yourself, your family, the church, or the culture that you live in. So decide in advance. Now, I'm going to tell you, just in transparency, as a parent, th th these principles are true as a parent, in your marriage, at work, wherever you happen to be. We made, I made, I, Debbie didn't make any mistakes. I made a lot of mistakes when it came to this. I'm a pastor. I made mistakes with my kids in the whole culture thing. I remember one of them. Um, uh, early on, my boys were, I don't know, 16, 17, maybe 18 years old. 
And my office at that point was not around here. It was across town uh, in Mount Pleasant. And my boys showed up one day unannounced, and I knew something was up. They had hats on, these hats that come way down here. And, and they were going to make a cultural statement to me. And so they pulled their hats off, and uh, Jason had cut his hair real short and dyed what was left like blonde or actually bleached it where there was nothing really in there. Joshua, on the other hand, he liked his hair, so he left it long, and he had bleached his, and obviously they'd done it themselves, and his was somewhere between white, red, orange-ish green. It was awful. <laughs> and I overreacted. I said some things that I'm not going to tell you about. <laughs> I, even, I even told him at one point, how could you be a Christian? You have embarrassed me, your mother, our family, just overblew this thing tremendously. It's just hair, for goodness sakes, it will grow out. I didn't learn. One of my daughters came to inform me and show me that she had a tattoo that I didn't know anything about. I'm not going to tell you where it was. Ugly? Oh, my goodness. And, 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 and I went ballistic. Now, th this is what I want to say. Even though I'm admitting that my mistakes, if you are a teenager here or a child in the home or whatever, and uh, I am not giving you carte blanche to go do whatever you want to do, you need to run that through your parents because there will be consequences. You can do whatever you want to, but there will be consequences. Now, I didn't handle it properly. I should have seen. It's just culture. How do you make cultural decisions there? You know, uh, how do you figure out what hills to die on? What impacts eternity and what is just temporary, temporary culture? That's kind of the question you ask yourself. What impacts eternity and what is just temporary culture? Learn to distinguish between preferences and principles. Now, Daniel did this. In verse 8 it says, but Daniel resolved. Can you circle the word resolve? Let's just say it together. Resolve. Let's say it again. Resolve. Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food or wine. Remember, the king's going to serve him royal food and wine from the table because he wants them to have the very best, to be well-fed, well-exercised. They're going to be the best and brightest. This is how you do it. And Daniel, even as a 14-year-old kid, knows that this violates the food laws that he lived under. We don't live under them anymore. That's a whole other sermon. Not important. Not important. The principles are important. He realizes that this is food that was sacrificed to idols. It's food that's unclean. And he knows that he can't do it. So he resolves to not uh, defile himself with royal food and wine. Now, he did it before he could smell the food. That's what's important. The time to make the decision is before you're in the place of temptation. Is that King's food? He probably had cream brulee. How I mean, you know that's of God? That's of God. It may have been sacrificed to an idol. That's good stuff. And before he could smell that food, he'd already resolved, this is a hill I'm, gonna, I'm willing to shed blood on, okay? And you need to do that. You need to do that. Um, what, what, what decision do you need to make before you get into a compromising situation? Maybe it's at school. There's a situation at school that you know is there. And before, before you're going to get into that compromising situation, maybe it's smoking something or drinking something or whatever it happens to be, you're not going to be involved in it. Or 
Maybe it's at work. Or maybe it's on your smartphone or your computer. You know, you need to make a decision ahead of time. This is what I do. This is what I don't do. Is there an unhealthy relationship that's presenting itself to you right now that you need to make a decision ahead of time? Or maybe there's a healthy relationship that you don't have good boundaries with. You've not established good, healthy boundaries. You need to establish them ahead of time so that you don't, aren't left to make this decision in the midst of the heat of the moment. Uh, conviction is morality with some muscle. A conviction is virtue with a backbone. Maybe it's saying this, I resolve not to go into more debt. Do that before you go to the sale. Okay? And along those lines, I just heard, I don't know if I'm supposed to announce this or not, but I just heard yesterday that uh, Dave Ramsey said he would come and speak for us on a weekend this coming year. And I'm kind of excited about that. And some of you are involved in that whole thing, but he's going to be here. I don't know when. I'm having lunch with him this week to close the deal. So you pray for me. Uh, inner conviction can counter outer pressure. Decide ahead of time what you're going to compromise on. Here's number two. Always be gracious when confronting a hostile culture. Always be gracious when confronting a hostile culture. Daniel said, and he asked. He didn't demand. He didn't tell. He asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in that way. He asked permission. He's decided, I'm going to take a stand here, but you know what? I'm going to ask for permission. He builds a bridge of understanding. It takes humility. He does it. My mom used to say, you attract more bees with honey than vinegar. How do you know that? Some Christians are so off-putting in their faith that you'd rather side with heathens even when the Christians are right. Have you ever felt like that? Am I the only one that's ever felt like that? In the words of the great theologian, Katie Walters, and they taught last week, didn't they do a good job? We don't have time for applause. <laughs> she said, God is a lot nicer than most Christians are. And he is. Daniel doesn't pick at the cafeteria. He doesn't go on a hunger strike. He doesn't turn his tray over. He doesn't get mad at the Babylonians who don't share his convictions. He's not like Christians who get mad at Starbucks. I, I catch grief on that all the time. I get a cup of coffee almost every morning. If there was one of your shops between me and my office, I would go to your shop, but I go to Starbucks. They have a drive-thru. I go through. People say, well, they don't have, they just have red cups for Christmas and you know, they take political stands that are, do you agree with all their political stands? I say, no, but they do make a good cup of coffee, you know. And um, for goodness sake, they're outside of the faith. They're not one of us. They don't know any better. They live in S Seattle, for goodness sake. <laughs> now, I've just offended all the Boeing people. We love Boeing people. We're glad you're here. Misguided Christians think that our job is to alter behavior. You think that our job is to be the Holy Spirit. They're, that job's already taken. Third person of the Trinity. You can't have that job. Here's your job. Your job is to point them to Christ and love them through the process. Aren't you glad somebody did that to you? We try to clean the fish before they're dead. We don't do that at Seacoast. Come on. Truth is, most of us are having a hard enough, hard enough time altering our own behavior. Would you agree with that? Yes. The reality is, these people don't see what you see or know what you know or have what you have. And so Daniel's asked, he was gracious, could we do this? And so what happened? He gets denied. But the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord, the king, 
who has assigned you food and drink, why should he see you looking worse than the other men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. He says, I'm afraid. No, you can't do it. Now what? Sometimes God allows a no to see how much you really wanted a yes. And sometimes he allows a no so you can understand why the other pe- person is saying no and learn from it. And see, Daniel learns from it. And he proposes an alternative. He says, okay, I see where you're coming from. And so he says, what if we do this? Please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. And then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. And so he agreed to this and tested him. He says, test us. Her story about a couple of Irish boys, mischievous, loved wandering around the beautiful hills of Ireland and they would swipe food from farmers thinking that God had given it to them and that the farmers were the conduit and they didn't know. And in other words, they were where they weren't supposed to be. One day they came onto a vineyard and a farmer had built a big wall. They couldn't get over the wall, couldn't figure it out. So one of the boys, the mischievous one, uh, took, uh, took his, his buddy's hat, might have looked like this, and then he took his own hat and he threw it over the wall. The other guy said, why did you do that? He said, he said we can't get it. He said, yeah, they know whose hats those are. We'll get in trouble, so we better figure a way to get over that wall and get those hats. Now, John Kennedy did the same thing in 1960-something when he said America was going to the moon, and we didn't have the technology. We didn't know how. But he said, you know, let's throw our hats over the wall. He, he used that same story. Let's throw our hats over the wall, and so we got to figure it out. That's what Daniel did. He throws his hat. He says, okay, okay. That didn't work, let's, let's do this. Now, wh- what about you? Is there an area where your faith and culture around you are colliding? If not, you might not be following Jesus close enough. Did you get that? Because if you're following Jesus close, it's gonna collide from time to time. It may be time to graciously throw your hat. I've got a better looking hat than that. It's the Denver Bronco Championship hat right here. It might be time to throw your hat over the wall and to propose an alternative and to go all in. For example, let's say your sales manager wants you to lie about the product because he thinks it'll boost your sale, okay? And the company culture and your faith are colliding. Rather than make a scene, you know, I can't do that, I'm a Christian, no, 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 I'm gonna sue you guys, I'm gonna be a whistleblower, and there's times for those things. But how about you do this? How about you propose an alternative? You figure out that your manager's goal is to make more money and do it by lying. Your goal is to make more money and do it with the truth. And so you propose a Daniel test. How about 10 days? Everybody else do it the manager's way. I'm gonna do it God's way. And in 10 days, we'll see who sold the most. <laughs> that is gutsy. Gutsy. You say, well, what if, what if I don't sell enough? Well, that's God's deal. Maybe that's his way he wants to get you out of that place. Or maybe that's the way he wants you to transform the culture. See, it's all about God's ability, not your ingenuity. King Neb didn't conquer Israel. God did. Daniel didn't soften the heart of the supervisor. God did. Veggies didn't make four kids smarter in 10 days. God did. I mean, if you're a vegetarian, God bless you. But it doesn't work that way in 10 days. In fact, if you're a health food person, You and me are just alike in one way. We're both going to die. We're not alike in the fact that you're going to die with a nasty taste in your mouth. (laughs) Just smile. That's supposed to be funny, okay? (laughs) 
I love trust tests that build your faith. That's why every once in a while we'll do a 90-day tithe challenge. You can start that anytime you want to. You go to Malachi, it says God will open the windows of heaven if you'll, if you'll bring this tithe in the storehouse. I've, I've seen many of your stories that said that's when we began to honor God with our finances. We saw God work. And we say, you know, we'll return. If, if you're worse off in 90 days, we'll give you your money back. I think we've done that one time ever in the history of our church. Because it's a, it's a, it's a, um, a faith test. That's what we did during the Imagine campaign. My wife and I, we said, how much can we give? Well, we want to give a lot more than we can. All right, God, how much do you want us to give? All right, we'll agree to that. Let's throw that hat over the wall. Now it's up to you, God. It's all about your ability, not our ingenuity. So when faith and culture collide, decide ahead of time which hills you're going to shed blood on. Always be gracious when confronting a hostile culture. I'm already over time, uh, so let me go real fast on the third one. Expect God to reward your efforts. Expect God to reward your efforts. It, it, next line I'm going to give you is tweetable, hashtag Greg Sratt. Here it is. It's simple, but it's this. Because Daniel honored God, God honored Daniel. Because Daniel honored God, God honored Daniel. That's a principle in life. In, in, in verse 8, Daniel resolved, I'm resolving to honor God. God honored him in verses 9, 15, and 17. In verse 9, he says, now God had caused the officials to show favor and compassion on Daniel. In, in verse uh, 15, it says, at the end of the 10 days, they looked better and healthier. God honored him. Uh, in verse 17, it says, to these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding all the literature and learning. Daniel could understand visions and dreams. God honored Daniel because Daniel honored God. Here's the principle. 1 Samuel 2 and verse 20, it says, but now the Lord declares, those who honor me, I will honor, but those who despise me will be disdained. Because, God, because Daniel honored God, God blessed Daniel with favor, influence, and blessing. I believe he's done that in this church. We decided early on, we're going to honor God. He's honored. I believe he'll do it with you individually. If you will honor God, he will bless you with favor, blessing, and influence. Here's my favorite scripture in the whole passage. It's exam time. It's the three years have ended. Their time, and the king's going to give them a quiz. And it says, in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. 10 times better. Church, Christ followers, let's don't settle for just as good. Let's don't settle for a little bit better. What if we held out for 10 times better? What if we felt, what if we, what if we said, we're gonna go for 10 times better in whatever we do, in ethics, compassion, effort, grace, mercy, love, Christ followers, I think, ought to have their pictures in the employee of the month constantly because as you honor God, he will honor you. That was good. Not a person thought it was good, but it was good. It's not, we don't have time anyway. It, it was not arrogant. It's just being honored. One last thought about Daniel. I don't have this on your outline sheet. No, I do. I do. I've got this one. Daniel 121, last verse. It says, and, and Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. That's how the chapter ends. Why is that important? Who is Cyrus? Well, it begins with Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king, capturing and taking captive all these people. And, uh, and it ends with Cyrus, the Persian king, which is Iran, uh, uh, overthrowing Babylon and letting Israel go back. And the point is, is that Daniel outlived the, king of ne uh, the kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar. This is 70 years after the story. This verse is 70 years 
after the story we just told. Daniel actually served, I think, four or five kings in his lifetime. He outlived Nebuchadnezzar. He outlived his entire income. Why? Or empire. Because when faith and culture collided, listen to this, he chose wisely where to make a stand. He was gracious in confronting a hostile culture. And God honored the fact that he honored God. So what about you? How do you handle cultural conflicts? Do you cave in? You just look like everybody else. Act like everybody else. Talk like everybody else. Follow you on Facebook. It's all the same stuff everybody else is doing. There's no blessing there. There's no blessing there. Do you throw stones at the culture? You you feel self-righteous about it. You just are pointing out everything that's wrong with the culture. And you throw stones. You You can only do that from a distance. You can throw stones from a distance, but you can only influence up close. And when you get up close, you get to know people. You start loving people. You start getting God's heart for your community, and you influence a culture. See, in Jeremiah, here's the scripture. Write it down. I didn't put it in your outline sheet. Jeremiah 29. We all know Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you. But the first part of that chapter is a prophecy Jeremiah gives to people like Daniel who are going to be captured and go to Babylon. So it rolls back about 85 years. Here's what he says. I wanted you to hear this. This is what the Lord God, he, uh, the, the Lord Armand, and worship team, come on, come on uh, uh, up on the stage while I'm reading this. I know I'm going just a little bit long, so we've got to do whatever we can to make up for our long-winded preacher. But I want you to hear this. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, don't decrease. And you know, one thing I wanted to point out, he says, this is what the Lord God says to all of those I carried into exile. I thought the Babylonians did. No, God did. Some of you may feel like you're in exile today in whatever city that you're in. You don't know why you're there. It doesn't feel right. God maybe very well carried you there. Probably he did. You can claim this. He says, also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord God for it because if it prospers, so you too will prosper. That's why we love our city. That's why we love our neighborhoods. That's why we love our our state. That's why we love our country. That's why we love the world. We're praying, God, prosper them so that I can prosper and your gospel can be preached everywhere. Some of us, this week, when your faith collides with culture, it's a Cubs hat, you need to show up. You need to throw your hat over the wall and expect God to reward your efforts. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your kingdom. I thank you for just all that you do and how you do it. God, we're grateful for your will in our lives. And God, I, I just pray that today that we would learn as foreigners in our culture that when cultures collide with faith, that we just pray that your kingdom would come. You would help us not to react angrily or inappropriately, not to cave in, but to be creative in how we engage culture. That we see that this Christianity lives really, really well when we live it. So God, help us to do that. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.